You know, they, the leadership told me I could come back whenever I was ready. <laughs> and I told them I thought I'd be ready in the fall. <laughs> and, um, and then the fall came, and I was on, having a conversation with them and saying, you know, I'd rather come back not when I feel a lot stronger. I'd rather come back now because I think it is right in the middle between where things were and where things will promised will be one day. It's right in the middle that God wants to meet us. I figured if I'm going to stand up one day and preach to you about hope, preach to you about God's power and presence, I might as well not wait until I feel like I don't need it. You know what I mean? And so... We're just going to see how this goes. <laughs> it might be a little messier than normal. Um, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you all to pray with me in a very different way than normal. We're going to do what's called an examine of the past 12 or so hours. We're going to start right where we're at, and we're simply going to journey backwards, but we're going to journey looking back at our lives and we're going to do it with the Lord. We're going to talk to him. We're going to pray with him. We're going to look at our lives. Today we're talking about Acts chapter 2. The series is called Against All Odds. And when they told me that was the series, I thought, that sounds about right. <laughs> but today we're going to see what happens when the Holy Spirit's power and presence falls upon a people. And I can't wait to see what happens when the Holy Spirit's power and presence falls upon us. I'm praying for things much bigger than just what I could do with my talent. I'm praying for much bigger things. But in order to do that, we have to be honest with where we're at. And we also have to see what it looks like to journey in life with God instead of journey on our own and then kind of catch God up here and there. So if you would, would you pray with me? We'll begin right here. Heavenly Father, here we are. Some of us know exactly where we are and some of us don't. But either way, Lord, here we are. There you are. Would you hear our prayer of our hearts? If we're heavy hearted, talk to him. If you're perfectly content, thank him. If you're grieving, be honest. No need to hide. We're going to go back a little bit. We're going to go back in our day from the moment we parked the car and we walked here. What was your, and again, with your eyes closed, just present with you and the Lord, what was your attitude walking into church headed toward this seat? Was it just what you always do? Has it been a while? Were you excited and expectant? Were you hesitant? Why don't you just talk to the Lord about that? Take a minute. How about the drive here? <laughs> Did you listen to anything? Talk with anyone? What'd you talk about? <laughs> How were you towards your kids? <laughs> Why don't you just know that the Lord was there, he was with you. Talk with him about the drive here. What was that like? 
did you eat breakfast? <laughs> I want you to imagine, what was that like for you? Did you cook it? Did anyone say thank you? <laughs> did you cook it again, like you always do? Was anyone with you? Were you alone? What was your attitude toward breakfast? Was it hurried and rushed? Why don't you just tell the Lord? Did you wake up with an alarm? Or was it just natural for you to get up that early? Wow. <laughs> How were you leading up to the day? With the Lord, just, he's here. Just talk to him about that morning. What was it like waking up this morning? How about going to bed? I wonder what your normal is. I wonder if it's Netflix so you don't have to think. I wonder if it's a conversation or I wonder if it feels lonely. What was it like going to bed for you last night? Were you nervous because it's not easy to fall asleep? <laughs> Just share with the Lord. He cares. He's with you. Last night was Saturday night. Did it meet your expectations? <laughs> Did people meet your expectations? Did you meet your own expectations? How was last night? Dinner? Is it alone? Was it with people? Whatever's on your heart, just share it with the Lord. He's with you. He was with you then, he's with you now as you look back. You can be honest. Lord, I thank you that we can look at our lives. And you, you want to look at our lives with us, I believe, not just in the past 12 hours, but also in this instant. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would experience something beyond even our expectations this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in us, we pray. And all God's children said, amen. If you have your Bibles, Acts is where we're headed. Pull them out. I like seeing people pull them out. Maybe the phones. If you're not going to get distracted, you can hang out there too. Acts is where we're headed. Let me give you a little context as we're headed to the book of Acts. Acts takes place after Jesus' perfect life, his death on our behalf, his resurrection from the grave. And then he gathers his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and he says, Wait with expectancy. I need you to wait here because someone is coming, someone powerful. Wait right here, trust me on this one, what I've called you to you can't do on your own. 
and Willow, wait right here, because what he's called you to this week, you cannot do on your own. So wait right here. And you know what I love is that the disciples knew how to wait well. If you are in a season of waiting, I have just a little verse that will teach you how. The disciples listened, and in Acts chapter one, they waited well. Jesus ascended into heaven because he's alive, and that's where he's at today. And I just have to say, this whole chapter, and I realize it's not just the chapter, it's every worship song, it's every single page of the Bible, it seems, is lined with life and death and resurrection. And so as we get to those moments, I'm going to take a pause. Some of you, I'm assuming most of you know, I lost my husband in February. And it was crazy because we pre-filmed the message a few days before. And the morning he passed was the last time I spoke here. And I spoke on community not knowing that I'd be surrounded by it in that moment. Not knowing that I'd receive all your letters. We read them. Thank you. But just know it's going to be sensitive because this whole book's about life, death, and resurrection and the promises of God. And I hope you take God at his word because I am. And he says, wait though, because it's going to be heavy. This life is not easy. And here's how the people waited well. Chapter 1, verse 14. If you're in a season of waiting, pay attention. This is how you can wait well. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That's waiting well. That's it. I'm waiting for heaven. And the way that I'm going to get there well is to bring people in on my journey and stop hiding. And know full well that God keeps his promises. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2. We're going to go through the entire chapter. So here we go. Good luck. Chapter 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost. Pente. Pent. Five. Fifty. Pentecost was already famous before Acts chapter 2. In fact, it was one of the three pilgrimages that all the people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. The first fruits, celebrating what God had done. The Pen Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why? Because Jesus told them to be suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were all these God-fearing Jews from every nation there? Good, because it was Pentecost. Remember, one of the three times all the people would go to Jerusalem. So they're all there. When they heard this massive sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, these guys are very unlikely to be doing anything significant for the kingdom. <laughs> Can you relate? You see, the, even the disciples, the apostles, they knew the Holy Spirit was coming, but they didn't know what it was going to be like, and they didn't know what would change. But you know what they did recognize was fire and wind, all this Old Testament imagery of God's power and his presence all throughout the Old Testament. He comes, and this time he doesn't just come close. He dwells 
within. I had a friend once say, you know, Jesus could give us a hug. It's almost as if he wanted to get even a little closer. He wanted you to know he really is with you. So he sends the Holy Spirit. And look at how the crowd responds. Look back at verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in, here it is, bewilderment. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's so significant. What does this mean? So what they're seeing, what they're hearing is beyond what's possible by just mere talent. And that's my prayer for today. That we would never again settle for talent. That we would never come to church hoping to hear talent. But we would come expectant because how silly of us, how silly of us would it be to ever show up or settle for someone's talent when the Holy Spirit's power is available to us this morning. Amen? I love this response. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. (laughs) AKA, are they drunk? It's in the Bible. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. (laughs) Did you catch that? The intro to one of the most impactful sermons that was ever given starts like this. So we're not drunk. (laughs) But I can almost imagine why they would think that. Because what are these disciples? They're fearless. They have lost all inhibition. Haven't they? But there's a big difference between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. Being drunk makes you less aware of reality. Being filled with the Spirit makes you more aware of what's really going on. So the first sermon, he goes, they're not drunk, they're just that free. Free from your opinions. Don't you want to walk into a room and be free from people's opinions? It's possible. Why? Because the Spirit dwells within. And then Peter goes on to give one of the best sermons. He talks about the prophet Joel and the prophecy he gives. And he says this, verse 17, he says, This is from the prophet Joel. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. What Peter's saying is, what what Joel prophesied is actually happening now. Plus, there's a promise. Drop down to verse 21 from the book of Joel. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You do not have to fear death. How, though? You might walk into church. This might be somewhat new for you. Why don't we have to fear death? Here's why. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites. Peter explains. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Keep in mind the audience he's talking to saw the miracles. He goes, you were there. You saw it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What Peter's saying is, it's our choices that put him there. And crowd, we're not exempt from this sermon either. It's our choices 
that put him there. But I have to tell you, reading the Bible is more vivid than ever before in my entire life. Because when I read words like death, there's feeling involved in that. I think I'm not alone in this room. Because doesn't death feel final? It feels more like an end. But then I read his word and I have to trust that it's actually a beginning. Why? Here's why. I love that his word answers it and I don't have to. Here's why death is no longer final. Verse 24, but God, there he goes again. God butts into the story, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, Jesus died the death we deserved so that we could have the life eternal even after death that he deserved. Death is not the final word for Jesus, which means therefore anyone who is found in Christ, death is not the final word for you either. Death is not the final word. Death is not the final word. Death is not final anymore. That's how powerful he is. He goes, the greatest enemy was death. Great, I'll defeat it. And then I'll resurrect and then I'll take you with me. So you can be with me forever. But if you on this earth choose to be without him, you'll be without him forever. But Jesus made a way. And then Peter goes on to say, here's, here's Psalms. It was all about Jesus. Psalm 16, it was all about Jesus. Psalm 110, all about Jesus. In conclusion, verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The crowd's response, maybe our response too, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love the crowd's questions. The first one was, what does this mean? The second one, what do we do? All right, if I believe this, what do we do? And he responds, Peter replied, repent. And that means turn from the way you've been living. Repent, confess sins, yes, but turn and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the result, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's good and all. 3,000 were just added the church just went from like 120 to 3,000. But I got to tell you this. It looks like a revival, right? Can I tell you where the revival began? The revival began not in ver that verse that talked about 3,000 joining. The revival, did not the revival did not begin when the crowds came. The revival began when the people who were already there were transformed. Did you catch it? This is what I'm here to tell you. Willow Creek. Revival in this place. Revival in our city. Will not happen when the crowds come. It begins when the people who are already here 
are transformed. Can I tell you, there's a difference between like a soft clap and like an enthusiastic one. We're going to try that one more time because I felt like it was a soft clap and it's like, we're not golfing here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's power. And what we're talking about is the revival you've been waiting for. Church, the revival you've been waiting for is not in the next four weeks when lots of people flood this place. The revival begins when you take seriously your faith. The revival begins, church, Willow. The revival begins when you open up your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my anger? Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And that's the main character of this passage is not Peter. It's not the 3,000. It's not the crowd. It's not even the church. It's the Holy Spirit and what he can do in a life. Can he bring 3,000 more to Willow? Easy. You want to know his plan, though? It's you. And here's the thing, 3,000 weren't just added. They were completely transformed. Why? Because of verses 1 through 7. Because the Holy Spirit came. And guess what? We read this on the other side. Looking back and saying, he's already come. He already dwells within. We already have that power. But the thing is, I think we've been ignoring that power and we've just been trying harder on ourselves. I can do this. I can, have you ever done this? I can pray more. Have you been doing it, even your good intentions, have you been doing it alone? It's really hard. Have you noticed you hear that really good sermon on prayer and you're like, I got this. And you're good for like two days. Your will can only be supported by a really strong character. But I'll tell you this. When you fail doing it on your own, God even wants to use the failure to draw you back to the cross. Don't shame yourself in your own power because he didn't tell you you have to do it on your own. He didn't tell you you have to wake up at 5 a.m. on your own. Ask for help. He's here. So the crowd comes and then they're transformed. And this is, by the way, what the Lord does, what the Spirit does in a really healthy church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In other words, they talked probably more about what they had in common than what they didn't. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And Willow, just thank you. I've had a lot of need and your words have been very impactful. So I can say, here's the beauty. The spirit is on the move in this place. I can tell by the massive amount of letters that were sent. So thank you for those of you who wrote those letters. Anyone that had a need, I've had a need. And you've been there. Every day they continue to meet together. In the t- I like just moving on because it's easier that way. Every day they just continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. By the way, the only way that people are going to break bread together in their homes is if you choose to invite people. So let's do that. Got it? Cool. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now here's the deal. Churches tend to either focus on the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2 or the last five. (laughs) You tend to. We're going to cover the whole thing. Because it's the spirit that makes possible. Peter giving the speech. The Peter's speech is what made the crowd go, what do we do? And it's the spirit who cuts them to the heart. And then 3,000 are added and the church looks different all because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the entire thing. Because if I only gave those last five verses, it would be powerful, but I'll tell you this, it would also be impossible to do on our own. Because suddenly I would give you a message that says, try to do all these things. And I hate because it could be tempting to try to do all these things without reading the first few verses about how it's possible. It's possible when the Holy Spirit takes over. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? He has a lot of them. One of them is to form you more into the likeness of Jesus, less about you, more about him. So here's the recap of the book of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes 
in power and presence. He fills those first apostles. They begin speaking in different languages and a crowd shows up and says, what does this mean? Peter then stands up and gives a sermon. People are cut to the heart and they ask, what do we do? And then they all do things different because the power of the Spirit dwells within them. Wow. So those are the two questions I want to end answering. Two questions from the crowd. What does it mean and what do we do? You up for that? What does it mean? So the Holy Spirit came then. What does it mean for us today? Very simply, here's what it means. It means that the Holy Spirit transforms. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us. He transforms. If you look throughout the passage and learn, you learn a lot about the Holy Spirit in this passage. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit fills the apostles. He empowers Peter to stand out. He helps Peter with his message. He convicts a crowd, cuts them to the heart, transforms them into people that do verses 42 to 47. He's at work, but he does this by letting them see themselves. You see, do you remember Peter's speech? He actually lets them know truth about themselves. Hey, it was you that put him there, Jesus, on the cross. And this is what I believe the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in us today. He wants us to look at our lives with him And he doesn't do this to shame us. He does this to transform us. A while ago, I gave an illustration that I kind of want to change, so don't watch that last one. Typically, so this is a water bottle. This is not a trick question. When I shake the water bottle, what comes out? Good job. Why? Because, why does water come out? Because water is on the inside, right? So when the pandemic comes and it shakes us, what comes out? Whatever is on the inside. Here's the temptation for me is to tell you, so fix what's on the inside. (laughs) When you get shook at home, what comes out? Is it anger? Fix it. Stop being so angry. What am I doing? I'm creating an autonomous faith of you trying to try harder to fix. Have you done that? I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm really going to stop. Here's why I took you through the past few hours at the very beginning is this. I wanted to Look at your life. What's actually coming out? Because I have a feeling a lot of us are a lot more angry than we'd like to admit. But I have us bring up our anger not so that you would try to fix it on your own anymore. You've tried, you've failed. And maybe you have tried and you have failed. And maybe God actually wants you to look at your failure and say, stop trying to fix even your failure. I can use your failure to bring you to the cross. You will see how undeserved it is. It will make you a more grateful person in the beginning when you leave that place. What's been coming out, church? The Holy Spirit wants to look with you. Is it guilt? Would you allow the Holy Spirit's power to bring your guilt right to the cross and see what Jesus did with it? Maybe it's just distraction. Maybe what's coming out is you're just hurried all the time. Not that present with yourself. Not that present with the people around you because you're just running around. Let the Holy Spirit look with you at that distraction. What is it? Are you finding your purpose and productivity again? He's so kind to let you know. So my question is, what's been coming out of your life? Think back to just the past 12 hours. What's been coming out of your life? Will you look at that with the Lord? Do you want to know what the Lord's doing? Maybe wanting to use even that. Or maybe some of you, 
God bless. You look at the past 12 hours and it's a whole lot of good. Would you just thank him? Because it wasn't anything you did. (laughs) It's all grace. The Holy Spirit transforms and we see not only the disciples are transformed, we see a specific disciple transformed, Peter. Verse 14, chapter two says this about Peter. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He stood up. Why is that significant? Because he didn't always stand up for his faith. This time he's talking all about Jesus, yet just a few days before, 50 in fact, just 50 days prior, three different people, as Jesus was on his way to the cross, three different people came up and said, aren't you with him? Jesus foretold it the night before. He said, you will deny me three times. He says, never. The very next day, aren't you with him? No, a little girl by a fire Aren't you one of those? No, not me. I don't even know Jesus. The one who did not take a stand for Jesus on the way to the cross is now standing, this time not in front of a little girl by a fire. This time it's an entire crowd. The Holy Spirit transforms. And... Oh, there's a difference. Remember we got the golf clap or we got the big clap and then we got... I know... The Holy Spirit transforms, and he doesn't just say it. He shows it, but how? He does it when he's doing life with you. Can I tell you, there's a really famous slogan that came about, and I'm realizing a lot of these um, slogans are more authentic than we thought. So have you heard the one that goes, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You've heard it? Okay, I'm here to let you know. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship more than you think. He really wants to be in your whole life with you. He really wants to give you power beyond what you think you can do on your own. What he has called you to, he has equipped you for. This is Peter, the one who proclaims Christ one day and then denies him the next. Denies his words. The one that Jesus actually looked at and said, get behind me, Satan. That was to Peter. You know what else was about Peter that I can really relate to? Peter's the one, by the way, who, it's kind of surprising I can relate to him. I'll explain. He was the one who walked on water. He risked getting out of the boat. Do you remember the moment? And he walked on water. Can I tell you what's most surprising about that story to me? It's this. So he risks. And then he stands on water and then he keeps walking on water wouldn't you think that like made him more capable to keep walking on water because the faith would have grown wouldn't you think that isn't it a little backwards that he walks on water and then starts to sink anyone it's a little weird right because like wouldn't that build your faith up to go like (laughs) yeah I mean he started to sink circumstantially this is why I bring it up My husband passed in February 21st. In January up until February, I felt like it was the sweetest season of my life. On the plane home from Willow Creek, the last time I was here, I was on the plane outlining the book of Philippians, and I stopped at a passage that said, 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. And I wrestled. Here's why. I had never really studied heaven extensively. I have now. But I thought, I don't know if it could get any better than this. It felt so sweet. I got to go share truth with you. And I got to watch what God did in your life. It felt like I was walking on water. It felt like that. I felt like I was risking sometimes, like kind of calling you to hard things. And some of you be like, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, good, because that was kind of harsh. And I felt like I was... And then I felt like my life started to sink. But do you remember the story of Peter? It was when he was sinking that he lifted up his hand. And it says in the passage that immediately Jesus reached back. Here's the question. When was Peter more strong? Was it when he was walking on the water? Or when he was sinking in Jesus' hands. Sinking but in the grips of Jesus. I am now convinced of some passages that I didn't know before. The ones that say things like this. My power is made perfect in weakness. It doesn't say my power is made perfect when your perfect plans come to be. God doesn't say, my power's made perfect in your strength. My power's made perfect in your talent. My power's made perfect in everything you can do to impress a crowd. No, no, no. Church, I am here to attest. And I hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's doing something in your life even now because his power truly is made perfect in weakness. I'm actually surprised. When we went through the run-through, I couldn't even read scripture without crying. So (laughs) things are really happening. Thank you. But here, let me tell you this. Some of you feel like you're sinking Some of you feel like you're sinking. Some of you maybe have gotten your attention back on those wind and those waves, and no wonder you're so anxious. You're sinking. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know theologically if God causes or allows hard things to happen. I don't know if he made hard things happen, but I know that we can make them matter, church. That's what I know. And so I can stand before you today saying, I don't feel all that strong, but I'm trusting that his words are strong through me. The ones that say his power is made perfect in weakness when you have your, your eyes in the right direction. When you have your hand up and you're saying, I need help. Christianity is not just a religion. It's actually a relationship that we need to take more advantage of. No wonder though, remember, Peter had him in his grip and he still denies him. After he walked on water, yet he still denies them, which means Jesus' words truly were true. The ones found in the book of John, chapter 16, when Jesus speaks before, before Acts, and he says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, other translations say helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Peter shows what a transformed life looks like. He stands up in front of a crowd and speaks. And some of you, that might be your calling. What are you waiting for? By the way, don't wait for a stage. That'd be silly. Some of you are like, yeah, when someone gives me a microphone. No, 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 it's called your life. That's your microphone. The Holy Spirit transforms. So what's our job? Be open to whatever he wants to do with your life. Peter gets real specific 
if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're in this room, if we're talking about the Holy Spirit's power and conviction and filling and all that, and it feels really foreign, here's Peter's words for you. Chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins for the very first time. Open your life to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift, the first fruit, if you will, of what's to come, presence of God, even after death, for all of eternity, forever and ever, amen. Christian in the room, What's our response? Open your life to him. What is that response for us? It's this. Stop limiting yourself to your own power. Open your life. And when I say life, some of you need to open your life for the very first time. But I say open your life every single moment that is your life to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And we're going to do this together as we close. The Holy Spirit transforms in response. We need to open our life to him. One of my professors, Dr. John Coe, says this about prayer. Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. So we're simply going to go and respond in prayer. But I want you to be honest. Which means, if your most honest prayer is this, I don't want to pray good. You're finally being honest. If your prayer is, I don't know how to pray, good. Stop performing in your prayer. He's here for your whole life. You don't have to go through it alone. Some of you, you're just distracted in prayer. Anyone else? My professor would say this. It's so good. He goes, oh, maybe the distraction is really just revealing your heart because where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. I wonder if the the places you get most distracted is actually the place God wants you to pray. What what an attack to the enemy. You're going to distract me? Good, I'm going to use it. Let's talk about that. My distraction in my own prayer, I always jump to my calendar. You want to know why? When I really think about it, this is why. Because I want to control something because everything feels out of control. Anyone else? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Find yourself distracted even now. Let him into that. The Holy Spirit transforms us as we look at our lives. And here's the two questions I'll give us. The same exact questions from the text, but this time directed at the Lord. Lord, what does this mean? Where I'm at, what does this mean? And secondly, what shall I do? So very simply, I just want you to close your eyes right where you're at. And I want you to put the past 12 hours into one word. Where are you? Again, with every eye closed, just you and the Lord together. Maybe some of you, you're confused. (laughs) Some of you guilty. Some of you anxious, tired, happy, disappointed. Put it into one word. And then we're going to do something with that one word. Where are you? If you have your word, just give me a nod so I know I'm not alone. You got your word? Beautiful. Some of you aren't nodding. You're maybe nodding off. Maybe what the Lord needs is rest in your life. You can do that too. Okay, with that one word, I want you to pray with expectation. Lord, what does this mean? If it's anxiety, it might mean you're trying to control things again. If it's guilt, it might mean you're simply trying to do it on your own. 
or it might mean you need the cross. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Lord, what does this mean? Take a second. He's there. What does it mean, Lord? And secondly, Lord, what shall I do? Let him bring truth to mind. It's in there. He's there. Heavenly Father, I pray as we continue to do this life with you that we would remember to stop when we feel like we're sinking, lift up our hand, and immediately remember your presence and power. So sit there with, we're gonna go into one more song of worship, but just for another minute, sit there. Where are you? What does it mean? And what shall we do? If you've been waiting to hear a word from the Lord, this is it. Lord, speak, your servants are listening.